Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, businesses across North Carolina struggle to find workers. The latest from the General Assembly, and Speaker Pelosi wants to make the expansion of the child tax credit permanent. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of the Carolina Journal. Morgan Jackson, Chief Political Strategist for Governor Cooper. Jonah Kaplan with ABC News 11. And Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Jonah, businesses across North Carolina are having a hard time finding workers. Talk to us about that. Well, it's kind of ironic because they're not having a hard time finding customers. I mean, if you remember a year ago at this time, most people are at home and the hospitality industry, especially hotels and restaurants and, and airlines. I mean, they were begging for people to come back, though they understood that you know they were home and worried about the virus. And the big talk was, bring the jobs back, bring the jobs back. How are we going to bring the jobs back? The jobs are back. Go to any sheets, go to any local restaurant, heck, go to a hospital. There are now a new report out of the Washington Post this week saying that three in 10 nurses are considering leaving the business altogether. So there are a lot of retirements, but there's no one to fill these positions. And the question becomes, why? Where are the skills? Where is the motivation to join the workforce? Is it there aren't living wages in some of these positions? Are people saying, you know, the pandemic taught me I can get a job that's better paying. I'm not going to do this. Is it unemployment, which has been ex expanded and extended? Is it easier to stay home and not work when I can have a paycheck coming in no matter what? Is it some other factor? People are thinking about new skills or they want to go into tech or they want to go into more education. But it's a real problem because consumers are there and the money is there to spend it. But if you don't have workers, you're not going to be able to provide services that people want. Nelson, are the enhanced unemployment uh, benefits, the $300 a week extra, causing the problem? Yes, absolutely. So you, you saw on the last April's jobs report, 266,000 net new jobs when they were expecting a million new jobs. Businesses cannot create new jobs when people are being paid to stay home. So we've had 21 states uh, that are saying no thanks to the additional $300 a week in uh, enhanced uh, unemployment uh, benefits, and you you have um, uh, Senator Rubio in Washington uh, introducing the Get Back to Work Act uh, that would cut off these uh, enhanced benefits. And if you look at it in North Carolina, on average, with the with un the regular unemployment, North Carolina plus the enhanced benefits, you can make roughly on average around twenty eight thousand dollars a year and stay home. So. That's hammering small businesses. Some businesses are closing. They just don't have anybody to work for them. And as Jenny was saying, it's really hitting the healthcare area as well. You just don't have healthcare workers. 
Let me ask you this, Morgan. 21 states have dropped the enhanced unemployment benefits, but now I see we're talking about paying people to come back to work. There's something on the Senate floor talking about that, right? That's right. So first of all, let me tell you sort of what the governor's been working on is, is the first thing he's done is he has put back the restrictions that were a lot of that were pre-pandemic that said you had to look for a job. During a pandemic, it was really hard when folks could, there weren't jobs, first of all, and second of all, it was not necessarily safe to go in person to look for jobs. And so he's He's pushed those back, and they're going to be at pre-pandemic form soon. But it's also important to understand, from the height of the pandemic, unemployment numbers are way down. We had 14% unemployed during the height of the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, it was just under 4% in North Carolina. It's roughly 5% now. So we've made some great gains. I think Jonah made an excellent point in that. It's the confluence of so many folks opening back up with the capacity limits gone. The seasonal tourism industry has really taken off. And I think one of the big challenges, wage growth has been so stagnant in this country that folks are looking for other jobs. As we talk about the healthcare right. industry, if you've been a nurse over the last year, you are burned out and worn out in thinking about something else. Don't wrap this up mm -hmm. in about 40 seconds. Well, I think all of these are major factors in why we're seeing this. About 42% of businesses say that they are having a lot of trouble staffing, and that is driving wages up. Even with dismal jobs numbers that Nelson talked about in April, we still have more jobs than people willing to take them. Uh, there's one fast food restaurant that's paying people $50 to come in for an interview. Uh, so all of those things are driving wages up, but we're really not going to see the job growth until there's people forced to go back and get back into employment. Okay, I want to come right back to you to talk about the General Assembly's week. Sir, sure. So this week uh, was a little bit calmer than the previous week. Last week, crossover meant that it was a bit chaotic. This week, a lot of people are head down working on the budget. One of the things uh, that a lot of people are also working on is trying to figure out um, how, what we're going to do with the American Rescue Plan money. There's, you know, five, uh, six billion dollars to figure out what to do. A lot of folks are talking including the governor, are talking about doing grants to parents to help their kids catch up over the summer. A bill was filed this week as well that would be between $1,000 and $3,000 that parents could apply for a grant. It could be used for uh, camps or, or even therapy if they needed, and tutors, lots of other things, ways for parents to kind of control how that money uh, helps their child. But one of the things I really was watching in the Senate, uh, there was a hearing from energy experts uh, hashing how vulnerable North Carolina is uh, in the fuel shortage that we saw with the Colonial Pipeline hack. Uh, North Carolina gets gasoline from one pipeline, get natural gas from one pipeline, and that's something that puts us at unusually high risk compared to other states in really having uh, an energy crisis. And that's why we saw North Carolina hit so hard with Colonial Pipeline. Plus, construction of new pipelines has been met with sort of a hostile regulatory environment. So it's something we really have to be looking at going forward. Morgan, the governor did weigh in specifically on how he wanted to see that $6 billion spent. So that's right. And so he laid out uh, a plan this weekend, uh, a vision for North Carolina to invest this money in our state and in our people. It's about $5.7 billion, which is a lot of money and can do a lot of good. Uh, the governor believes, it, as I said, it's a once-in-a-generation opportunity. He laid out very specific plans and looks forward to working with the General Assembly to, to get these through, is first and foremost, major investments in broadband infrastructure. We've seen in what the pandemic has shown us even more, whether it's kids that were Zooming or whether it is folks that were working from home or, or businesses, especially in Eastern North Carolina that didn't have access to high-speed internet, it's really critical. So about $1.2 billion in that. You're also looking, as Donna mentioned, about expanding affordable access 
to education, not just primary care education in kids over the summer and things, but looking at how you get more workers trained uh, by making sure folks can get, finish those uh, community college um, graduations and, and go to, go to uh, the university. And uh, also looking at major wastewater and water infrastructure improvements. I think that's, that has been one of the most nonpartisan issues out there. Our cities are, and our towns have these 80-year-old water systems or 100-year-old water systems. And so it, it's a very big deal. And, and uh, the last thing I'll mention Quickly. is the, the investments given to the hospitality industry that's struggling so hard to help them get back on their feet. Nelson, you have the floor. Well, while the governor was proposing what to do with $5.7 billion, the General Assembly was taking another $6.4 billion uh, of rescue funds and appropriating those out. So that was accomplished this week. Over half of those funds will go to elementary and secondary school emergency relief funds. There were 29 categories of funds uh, that were appropriated in this large chunk, most of it to things like child care grants, higher education funds, emergency rental assistance funds, food security, uh, and some lab and vaccine funds as well. Okay. All told, it's going to be $15.5 billion. Close this out in about 30 seconds, my friend. I think child care is going to be critical because if we need people to get back to work, what are they going to do with their children? So early education. Watch for that as budget negotiations continue. Okay, Nelson, I want to talk to you. Talking about child care, Speaker Pelosi wants to make the child extension of the child tax credit permanent. Well, that's right, Mark. So the American Rescue Plan passed in March increased the child tax credit from $2,000 to $3,000 per child and to $3,600 per child for those under age six. And that is a refundable credit. Uh, for the lowest income households and that also directs the IRS to begin prepayments of, that, of those funds uh, on a monthly basis beginning in uh, July. President Biden is proposing uh, extending that program for five years. Uh, Speaker Pelosi and the Congressional Democrats want to make the program a permanent entitlement at an estimated cost of about $1.6 trillion over the next 10 years. And just for scale of this entitlement, that's as much as the federal government spends annually on its discretionary programs, all of them combined. Can we afford another entitlement, Donna? I just don't think so. It's hard to unring that bell. Once you've allowed it, then it's going to be expected. And you're really, uh, you're talking about kind of a, a pilot or a sample of what a universal basic income uh, might look like. And economists, I think, are pretty universal in saying that the good thing is if it replaces a welfare-based system and people have control over where it's spent, that could be good, but it can also drive up inflation, which means that prices go up and, you know, whether people have it, the quality of life uh, for the poorest among us are is not really going to change if prices go up. Jonah. As someone here with two kids under the age of six, let me say, I, I think this is kind of a creative, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but a creative solution is kind of a stimulus to both you know, support the child care industry, which is not a good business model. Ask any child care provider. I mean, you, either you're going to charge a fortune to pay your teachers and to keep the lights on, or you're going to need some sort of government support to stay open. So if this maybe can be more directed at saying, well, you can use this money on child care, that would make it deductible. You know, maybe there's something there. It's also, look at the birth rate that continues to fall in this country. So are we going to further incentivize, you know, growing families and, you know, marriages and, and kind of the nuclear family idea? 
this could be that too. I, I don't necessarily see it as just an entitlement. Morgan, is this a talking point for 2022 in the midterms? I think it can be. It's a, it's a very, very popular program. It's been around since 1997, actually. It's like a 25-year-old program. I think part of the issue is, is what the, 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 the challenge they're trying to address. One in seven children in this country live in poverty. That, that's that's a stark reminder of, of real life for so many folks. And so many more are just above the poverty line. What we see long term, a child who grows up in poverty is much more, much more likely to have long term health care issues, much less likely to get an education, and so much more likely to, to live in a, a cycle of poverty. And it's so hard to break in this country. What, when you look at child care dollars, are some of the best spent in this country because that money goes right back into the economy. It doesn't sit in people's pockets and people's bank accounts. It goes to spend for child care. It goes to spend for groceries. It goes to spend for clothes, things that go right back into the economy. And we've, we've seen on some levels that every dollar spent on child care generates a dollar and a half of economic growth in this country. You agree with that? Well, I think uh, Jonah's point may be the best one, and that is uh, what do we do long term to uh, have uh, the size job force that we need because America is aging. We at least have a millennial generation. Most of the, ma uh, most of the major industrialized countries do not, but we are going to have to be concerned about the size of our workforce. There are fewer Zoomers coming along than millennials. So this is going to be a critical issue in terms of demographics in the U.S. over the next few decades. Donna, close this out in about 30 seconds. And I think all of these are really important points. And, and the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, has put a real, um, forced us to really look at how our economy is developing. It's really impacted some of the small businesses and, and the, the motivation to go out and start a small business is even frightening for a lot of folks who saw what happened to their neighbors. So, you know, going through and, and helping those businesses, help them make their own decisions, control their own money is really going to be key to recovery. Okay, talking about the pandemic, the governor lifted the mask mandate sort of last week. It's Listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for a lot of folks, especially those that are vaccinated. Uh, as throughout this pandemic, the governor's followed advice of, of scientists and data. And when the CDC removed the mask mandate, especially for those uh, that are vaccinated last week, the governor obviously followed suit. It, it is a big deal for North Carolina. It is the first signal of emerging from the pandemic, the first big sort of tangible signal. As you know, when you don't have to put a face covering on if you've been vaccinated, uh, lifted it for everybody but a few different categories. The categories are healthcare settings, uh, public transportation, and schools. And largely because the school's parents say, well, why do my kids have to wear a mask? Anybody, the 12 to 15 year olds just got eligible for vaccines a couple of weeks ago, under 12 can't be. And so the, go, the goal is to stop the spread of the pandemic with those that are unvaccinated. Well, what percentage of kids are getting, uh, 12 to 15 are getting COVID? Uh, it, it, well, it's it pretty low, isn't it, Jonathan? I, 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 it's, it's low and mostly they're asymptomatic, thank God. I mean, that's, that's the story here. Um, if, if we talk about the governor, I, I think, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for being, you know, remarkably consistent through this. It was really the CDC who didn't just pivot. It wasn't about face. And so that kind of threw the governor and, you know, Secretary of, of uh, Health and Human Services, was Dr. Mandy. Was decision by the CDC? Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> we, we need a longer show okay. to, to discuss that. But I, I think, though, to kind of match what the CDC was saying, the governor was kind of put into a, a little bind. And... Uh, it was very abrupt, and I think everyone's just kind of trying to get used to it. Donna? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's interesting this particular thing is a public policy that literally touches every single person. A lot of us know a lot about public policy. We dig in every day. We study it every day. Not everyone does. And this is something that they're really starting to pay attention to what their executive branch does, to what their legislature does. And that may be a trend that continues. Those who are avid mask wearers are going to keep doing it. Those who aren't, aren't, weren't wearing them in the first place. It really affects that middle slice who were wearing it either to avoid, you know, a verbal assault in public or they were wearing it because they wanted to keep their neighborhood stores open. And a lot of our folks had to learn along the way. A lot of people in authority, didn't they, Nelson? Well, they did. Masks were only intended as a temporary measure to slow the spread of the virus. The vaccines are the cure to the pandemic. So Operation Warp Speed cut the regulatory roadblocks, provided the money for the American pharmaceutical companies to show their capacity to innovate, to rapidly manufacture, and to distribute the vaccines on a massive scale. So Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. This is America's system at its best. And what I worry about going forward are policymakers in Washington who are clamping down on everything that made this a phenomenal, this phenomenal success possible. Well, Speaker Pelosi still has masks on the floor, but they don't have them in the White House. That's a little bit uh, strange in my view. You know, I think her argument was if some of the holdouts would get uh, vaccinations, everybody in the White House has uh, vaccinations. <laughs> there, there's about 30% of the people in the House floor that don't. I'll close this out real quickly. Well, I think what we're now seeing is where a lot of people say we should have started in the first place. If you feel comfortable wearing one, uh, wear it. If you're afraid to not wear one, wear it. If you don't, then don't. And if you don't like it, let a business set their own rules. And if you don't like it because they require it or because they don't, vote with your feet. Go somewhere else. Okay, I want to go to the most underreported story of the week, Donna. So my most underreported story of the week is Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. So uh, from Washington, of course, they're now saying that they're not going to back a commission into investigating uh, the, uh, the uh, protest at the Capitol. So I think that that will really keep them from getting those 10 Republican votes. Of course, the commission bill passed the House. It's now in the Senate. Uh, and Democrats need 10 Republicans to get over and vote to establish this commission. I don't think they're going to get it without McConnell's support. You have thoughts on that, don't you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the more Republicans think they can avoid a discussion about the January 6th insurrection by not having a commission, uh, I can assure you that the TV ads that'll be run in 2022 will remind every voter in this country about it. Are they going to impeach Trump again? Uh, three more times. <laughs> <laughs> You're most underreported. So big news out of Durham this week uh, for a lot of parents is uh, some of you may be familiar that Attorney General Josh Stein and the state of North Carolina have sued the um, vapor, uh, vape uh, company Juul. Juul has about 75, 80 percent of the, the e-cigarette market. And as those, Don and I will tell you, is with kids in high school, it's everywhere. Uh, it's, on co it's on college campuses, on high school campuses. The Attorney General sued them for deceptive marketing. Attorney General Stein. Attorney General for uh, deceptive marketing and marketing specifically to children. But they, this is a pretrial uh, motion that took place, a pretrial ruling this week, which is a big deal because it's before the trial even started. The judge ruled that uh, Jewel had not only destroyed documents, they had uh, refused and disobeyed court orders and deserved to have millions of dollars in fines pre-trial. And so it doesn't take a lawyer to tell you that when you start out the trial that way, it's not going to end well for Jewel, but it is a good news for North Carolina parents. Jenna, underreported. I think what's the saying that two constants in life, death and taxes? Well, actually, there's a third, and that's anti-Semitism. And what we've seen this week is about a 400% increase in anti-Semitic incidents. The videos are, are frightening for an American Jew like me. 
people being attacked at a restaurant in Los Angeles, um, people throwing firecrackers at a bagel shop in a diamond district in New York City, uh, a synagogue in Arizona, uh, in Tucson, um, was vandalized. You know, if you have a problem with a, a government policy of a nation state, okay. If you have a problem with a Jewish state, well, then your problem is racism. And, you know, it, it just, I, I don't understand it. First of all, for me, even to be a Jew, bring it up, I feel like it's awkward. Like people are going to be judging me for bringing this up, not here at this table. But why does it not register on the same scale as other forms of racism? Where is the outrage? It's a very much an underreported story. I haven't seen much on the news about it. No. I mean, imagine if... If, if there were Asians sitting at a, a restaurant and they were attacked, where would that be on the nightly news? Imagine if it was a black-owned business. And officials are not speaking. I have and if it was a black-owned business. Or, you by, know, the, by the way, from Pelosi or, or, or from McConnell or anybody else on the other side on the Republican Biden side. had an opportunity. I thought he spoke very well on, on Thursday uh, when the ceasefire was announced. But he had an opportunity, just like he did uh, when he talked about COVID being over, you know, stop this anti-Asian hatred uh, and George Floyd, stop this racism. He could have said stop the anti-Semitism, but he didn't. Nelson, underreported, please. And it was Egypt that brokered the ceasefire that's between right. two. I think that's very significant. Uh, on Monday, the United States Supreme Court ruled against warrantless searches uh, by police for health and public safety reasons. Uh, the unanimous decision authored by uh, Justice Thomas uh, ruled that a plaintiff's Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable search and seizure were violated when police uh, entered the plaintiff's home without a warrant took him to a hospital for a mental evaluation and seized and would not return his firearm. So Biden's Justice Department joined the side of the police in this case and lost 9-0. What's the practical impact? Well, I think the practical impact is, for example, there's been discussion of um, uh, red flag laws in Congress and in the various states. I think people are going to have to be very careful, even though this was a fourth Amendment case and not a Second Amendment rights case, it will have bearing on Second Amendment issues. Okay, let's go to the right and around. Who's up and who's down this week, Donna? I gotta say up is gas prices. Uh, in May of uh, 2019, gas prices were right around $1.75 a gallon. Now in May of 2021. We need the Atlantic um, Coast pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, bring gas. Now <laughs> in was that 2021. Keystone, maybe. Right, right, right. right. My potato, potato. <laughs> well, now it's like 3.06 a gallon. So, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot, and that impacts groceries. It impacts everything we do. It's truckers. It's everybody. Even before the Colonial Pipeline, prices were going right. up. Um, down, i got to say, California's unemployment program. I don't know if you caught this story, but they're saying up to about $30 billion in potential fraud. So they've frozen all the all these unemployment claims of, like, 19 million people. Well, they're great they said that there's there. Right. They're great actors. A well-run yeah. program, it, clearly. Okay, Morgan, who's up? Who's down, uh, please? Uh, this uh, week is uh, clean air in Charlotte. Uh, the EPA, led by North Carolina's own Michael Regan, has uh, smacked down on a South Carolina company. And, and for those of you who are not familiar with the issue, they, this pulp uh, paper mill has been emitting these horrible smell that has permeated all throughout Charlotte and the region uh, and is making a lot of folks sick. And the EPA has cracked down on them this week and, and good for the EPA for doing so because South Carolina has not done it. Uh, who's down this week, I would say coups are down this week. Uh, Duke, Industri Duke Energy Institutional Investor uh, Elliott Management came out this week and said, we think Duke should be broken up into multiple pieces. The big five, Governor Cooper, President Pro Tem Berger, Speaker Moore, Democratic leaders Reeves and Blue said, not so fast. The Utilities Commission is not going to wait uh, like that. 
Jonah, who's up and who's down? So the North Carolina GOP is up. Look, whatever you think of Donald Trump, he's still the former president of the United States. He's a dominant political figure, and he's kind of just been hanging out in Florida. But now he's going to come out of his, well, not his basement, but maybe the pool, whatever you want to call it. And he's coming Off to North Carolina, course. and that's that's a big deal. I mean, for North Carolina, um, and down is party unity. Uh, this whole big tent idea. I mean, Democrats are split on Israel, Republicans split on the insurrection. Maybe just big tent parties aren't going to work anymore. It'll be interesting to see if Trump talks about the past or the future. Who's up and who's down this week? French is up. The French Academy, the guardians of their language, have banned schools from using gender-neutral spellings of words saying the practice is harmful and threatens the French language. Vive la France. Okay, so they're against uh, wokeism. Yeah, they're, absolutely, absolutely. And it's geopolitical angle to this as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, who's down Biden's pipeline policy. So in a victory for Russia, uh, Biden is dropping sanctions uh, on completion of the Nord Stream 2 ga natural gas pipeline going into Germany. Of course, he is still opposed to the Keystone XL pipeline and a couple of pipelines trying to come into North Carolina. And to Donna's point, those are natural gas pipelines. What if you have a cyber attack on those? Then your industry shuts down and your homes shut down. Donna, headline next week. Um, so I'm going to be watching closely. It's super early in the morning, but on the 26th, we're going to have a total lunar eclipse, and North Carolina will be one of what the few places. It's supposed to be like 4.45 a.m. Obviously. I'll let you know how it turns out. But it's North Carolina, the central area of North Carolina, is one of the few places uh, that you're going to be able to see it on Earth. Morgan, headline Mark next week. Mark and I don't get up till like 10 a.m., so that's going to be hard. I'll call you. So headline next week is America's long-awaited summer begins. The long-awaited summer after COVID begins. Guys, if you haven't been vaccinated, uh, you need to get vaccinated so you can fully enjoy it. Quickly, headline next week. Carolina hurricanes continue playoff surge. Headline next week. Democrats agenda in Washington bogs down. We miss anything quickly? Mitch Kokai, we missed him. Okay. <laughs> Great job, Paddle. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Mary Louise and John Burris. Reifenberg Construction. Stefan Gleason. And Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.